of Parramatta Libraries podcast, where we talk about books, libraries, and everything in between. My name is Nissa, and today with me for the first time is my colleague, Bryony. Hi, thank you for having me. Uh, we would like to acknowledge that we are here today on the land of the Darug people. The Darug people are the traditional owners of this land. City of Parramatta Council also acknowledges the present Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who now reside within this area. Thank you, Bryony. So today we're looking at the genre of thrillers. Well, thrillers and crime fiction. So thrillers as a genre have a lot in common with mystery fiction. There's the element of surprise, red herrings, often a crime takes place, and there's a lot of overlap between the genres. But what makes something more of a thriller is the mood surrounding it. The way, I guess you can say, a work of horror fiction is distinguished by a fear, a sense of fear and dread, thrillers give a sense of anxiety, of suspense, of a certain darkness. Crime fiction and suspense, uh, suspense are often, sometimes, the name of genres used interchangeably with thrillers. However, I guess crime fiction has more of a focus on criminal acts in the investigation, which I guess kind of bleeds into the territory of mystery fiction. But that's, I guess, often up for debate. What do you think, Bryony? Yeah, I guess, like, what makes a thriller? It's like a genre that sets out to scare you, isn't it? Mm. And unsettle you, even. So what is it that, like, draws us to want to feel this way? You know, like, um, to have that... I think it's to kind of have that experience, but within the safe confines of fiction, you kind of get to go on this journey. Um it's an interesting one. It is, yeah, <laughs> indeed, and I, that's why I think it's 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 interesting how it has that in common with horror, right? Horror, I guess, it's more like that feeling of want to look. You don't want to really be scared in real life, right? But exactly. but it's nice to have that within, as you said, the safe confines of like fiction or make believe. And I think that's the same for thrillers as well. So you were going to introduce our books we're talking about today. Uh, yes. So first, we'll be talking about The Herd by Andrea Bartz. Uh, published by Ballantine Books, an imprint of Random House in 2020. Um, then I'll be speaking about Keeper by Jessica Moore, published in 2020 by Penguin, um, and the imprint is Viking of that. And the third one will be Your House Will Pay by Steph Char, published by Faber and Faber, an imprint of HarperCollins in 2019. And then finally, uh, The Animals at Lockwood Manor by Jane Healy, published by Mantle, an imprint of Penn Macmillan in 2020. Mm. Okay, so I guess I'm first. Yes. The Herd. So The Herd is, it's, it's an easy to read book. That's the first thing I'll say because I have read some um, recently that have not been quite as easy. But Herd, I found, was um, an easy to read book. It is pretty much based on um, several of these female characters. So they're a group of friends. They're in their late 20s to early 30s. Um, they're all professionally quite successful. Um, a lot of them are involved in this co-working space. So um, one of them is an entrepreneur, very successful. Um, she's the founder of this co-working space. On the surface, most of them have got like, um, you know, they're act together, they're successful, motivated. Um, two of the women in the group are sisters. And everything's going fine um, until one of them is murdered. 
Um, and then events ensue from there. Uh, the very beginning of the book, though, does give a hint. I mean, I guess if you look at the genre sticker that says thriller and then you know it's a thriller, you go, okay, well, something is going to go wrong here, right? So that, that you don't go in it blindly, I guess. Um, and the very first scene is a scene of a body uh, rapidly cooling, and I found that quite interesting where it was um, like it starts off with a body but almost like... I don't know how to say it, like personifying it, basically, like something that's, you know, no longer a human being, but explaining what was happening with it. So I thought that was quite interesting to set the mood a little bit in the beginning. But then it goes to like a very normal setting with these all these four women. But then it goes to like a crime happening. And it's sort of this a little bit up and down in terms of like everything normal and then um, sort of these chilling events taking place. Uh, but I felt it was really easy to get through. It was fast paced. Um, the structure is sort of, I guess you've got first person narrative switching between the two main narrators, Katie and Hannah, who are the two sisters, but you've got the perspectives of the other women in the group as well. The story is, um, it's about women struggling with success, self-doubt, friendship, family, creativity. Um, it's about how if on the very beginning, when you introduce to the characters, they, um, seem as I said like they've got their act together they're successful and their relationship seems like really lovely something that you would want with female relationships you know that close bond that women often have um but as the story goes on all these things are revealed about how it's a lot more complicated uh the relationship um and how it's affected by things like jealousy um by race um by class um, there's a line I really like in it. I mean, one of the characters is a woman of colour, or at least the sisters are, I think. But it's not something that's super obvious in it, which I did like, how it's not um, the focus of the story, I guess. But it is relevant. There was one quote, um, it's especially fun to speak on behalf of all women of colour when you're barely in touch with your own brownness. Um, and that was said by one of the characters who's got her own um, issues surrounding her identity uh, like there's this aspect of her as a woman of colour, but she doesn't necessarily want to be identified as that or as a spokesperson um, for women of colour. So that was, I thought, an interesting um, aspect to that dynamic with the friends because that does come up in their relationship. Um, yeah, I think there's not, there's not a lot I can say about the book, to be honest, just because it was just a straightforward, good read. The story sort of has... It goes through the process of the crime. Everyone has different secrets. The secrets are revealed and all the characters, of course, as I said, are revealed to be more complicated in the relationship to each other and themselves as the story progresses. So it's like unfolding, you know, these secrets one after another. Then it has a dramatic moment and comes to a conclusion. And then you think everything is fine until the very end when one of the side characters their perspective is given very briefly. I think it's two pages and that just makes everything completely dark again, which I found really interesting. Now it reveals a little bit of extra information, not in the sense of like the story continuing to go on, the events are over, but something about what happened before. And I really like that touch. It was unsettling for me because <laughs> I, I wasn't expecting it. I was like, oh, okay, this is what we're over it now. The thing has happened. Everything, everyone's laid their cards on the table. It's all resolved but then this at the end. So I really liked how the author do, did that. So that was something I I, um, I quite appreciated. 
Um, the author has a new book coming out in July. It's called We Were Never Here. So that's something um, July this year. So that's something to look out for. Um, I also wanted to say one thing I really liked what the author said. Um, so she used Tetris as a verb. Now, I don't know if it actually is, or this is the first time I've seen it, but I really loved it. So she's talking about the two sisters getting onto a train, a really crowded train, I think in time for Christmas or something. And they were trying to put their luggage on a rack. And then she goes, we tetris our luggage onto the rack. And I don't know why I really like that. I just love <laughs> how... Good image. Yeah, it is. Just because, and I think as someone who loves Tetris, I, <laughs> that's like the only video game, I guess you can call it, I play. Um... I've always liked Tetris or the block game or whatever you'd like to call it. So that really, um, I think that resonated a lot more. Like, like I don't know. They just, I, I love that. So Tetris as a verb. Um, I think everyone out there should just make this happen. Let's just really bring it into common usage. Submit it to the dictionary. <laughs> Which I totally should. Yeah, so The Herd, good read, easy read. Um, you know, uh, just a normal thriller that you can enjoy, get through. Um, yeah. Sounds like a bit of a roller coaster, like the way that it, the tone shifts. I think that can be kind of even more unsettling when you sort of lulled into a false sense of security and then it like hits you. Yeah. It's, look, I liked how they did that. The thing at the end, how she just like dumped that on us. I, I liked that. That was like a simple way of just making such an impact. So yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I know a lot of popular magazines have um, really, like it's, it's one of those books where a lot of popular magazines have really recommended I think Marie Claire and a few other ones um so it's it's quite popular and it's I think appealing to a broad section of the community not to put it down and say oh look it's you know for the common man I think that can be a good thing um so yeah I think it's got broad appeal so I definitely recommend it if anyone's interested in um getting through a thriller based on a bunch of young women great your book Bryony okay um so I'll be speaking about Keeper by Jessica Moore so the novel begins, like a lot of thrillers, like your one, The Herd, uh, with the discovery of a dead body. Well, not, I guess yours didn't and begin with the discovery, but it was, it starts with a dead body. And I think um, there's often this kind of depersonalization of that body. And I think what this novel does is it goes back to the very beginning, before she dies, and from her perspective, um, how she got to that point. And it splits between that time and the um, the time after she's found, where the detective is um, investigating the death. So she appears to have killed herself by jumping off a bridge um, but it's not like a typical whodunit. Its um, f main focus is on the very real horror of the violence against women by men that they're closest to, rather than like a sort of figure, mm -hmm. a shadowy figure that a stranger in the night kind of thing. So um, Jessica Moore, the author, she worked in a women's refuge before writing this book, and this experience shows in her nuanced approach in depicting the lives of these women in the refuge um, that Katie, the main character, works at before she dies. So the novel fits into the subgenre of thrillers domestic noir, 
which highlights how dangerous the domestic sphere can be, despite the connotations of comfort and security. The perspective switches between then, as we see Katie Straw meet and fall in love with Jamie, and now following this sort of paternalistic police detective and the women in the refuge that Katie worked at. So it addresses the exploitative nature of a lot of the crime thriller genre um, and the murky kind of ethics of sensationalising um, violence against women for entertainment. Mm. So that's kind of one of the things that I kind of struggle with um, while reading books of this kind of genre is whether it's like a bit gratuitous and whether it's respectful and I think that this novel really um, is respectful of its content and um, yeah so there's a convention in thrillers where the villain's motives and genius are almost kind of celebrated at least they're the um, a main focus a lot of the time so think like Hannibal Lecter mm. um, where you're like really getting into their brain and um, I think Keeper kind of subverts this as it doesn't really focus on his motives it focuses on the psychological impact of his actions on Katie um, not the reasons the way he the way he is the way he is or how clever he is to have gotten away with it. It's more about how society breeds this entitlement and fails to protect protect victims. Um, it like has statistics on how many women are turned away from um, refuges every day because there's no funding. Mm. And so rather than portraying Jamie as like this aberrant like um, psychopathic figure he's scarily familiar and I guess the most frightening aspect um, in the book is the reality of these situations the growing th threat Jamie presents as he uses coercive control to slowly dominate Katie's life completely so coercive control um, is still perfectly legal in Australia it's not criminalized um, but it's one of the most dangerous and horrifying forms of domestic abuse as it slowly erodes Katie's sense of self and ends in her death. Uh, Keeper explores the many different experiences of, of abuse through the widely different stories of the women in the, in the refuge. Nazia has been brutally beaten by her younger brother and um, she sort of chafes against these racist assumptions that she um, comes across in the refuge because they're sort of all thrown together. There's no like um, specific support. Um, so the, uh, the um, person who's in charge of the refuge kind of just assumes that she was being forced into an arranged marriage. And she's like, oh, this is not my situation. I'm, um, we're not all the same, like, and that's really quite highlighted, which I really liked. Um, and then there's Lynn, who's married to a wealthy man who, as Detective Whitworth says, doesn't seem like the type. 
Um, but the sort of consequences of that complacency is really tragic in the end. Like, she really falls through the cracks of the system. Um, and Angie has been married to a man who beat her twice a week for almost 50 years. And even with concrete evidence, she's acquitted. So this is like quite a heavy book, as you'll kind of see. Um, yeah, so it kind of acknowledges the institutional and societal role of domestic abuse um, with the underfunding of refuges and the complacency of the police who are eager to rule Katie's death a suicide. Um, yeah, so I thought it was a very um, well-researched and well-written book about a really important subject and there's definitely that kind of feeling of suspense and dread um, that a thriller has but with a very um, important political message as well. So yeah. with, so it's not just about Katie, it's about multiple characters within the refuge as well and their stories as well. That's right, yes. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Okay. And where is it set? Uh, it's set in London, um, mm. present day London, and um, also in a kind of small village that she's kind of escaped mm -hmm. um, to away from London in the now mm. aspect of it. And you said something about coercive control is not illegal in Australia. Um, do you know if it's illegal in the UK where the book is set? I believe that it has since become criminalised mm -hmm. in the UK. Um, or at least it's on their radar, right? To yeah, like I, I, think, something. I think it is. It's either in the process of it mm. or there's definitely a lot of um, work going into making that illegal and something that you can uh, fight. Yeah. Wow. That sounds really interesting. Very serious, but it sounds really interesting. And I like what you were saying about, like, the whole idea where it can sometimes be gratuitous, right? Mm. Um, and that, like, you would you want to learn about things, I guess, and be exposed to horrible things. You do but have to be wary about being desensitised. Yeah, that's the thing, right? Having it be kind of just an entertaining kind of thing. Yeah. Like, especially when you're watching all those crime shows on mm. TV, they're very kind of um, formulaic mm. and you're just like, oh, another dead body. Mm. Okay. But what? it must be hard to strike that balance because <laughs> on the one hand, you don't want to remove yourself entirely from it, right? Shy That's away from right, it. exactly. But then what you're saying is also true. You will become, like with anything, you become desensitised mm. and that's, that's actually pretty scary. And yeah. like using, I think there's like almost some, um, like people who watch these sort of videos and it's almost I guess like addictive and you know numbing like porn in some ways where they don't well it's just like yeah we're just watching it for the sake of you know being gratified by something that is normally just really you know abhorrent so mm. that's wow okay <laughs> that was pretty heavy yeah. um I think that segues us nicely into my one your house will pay by Steph Char so my one is it's not it's dark as well um not quite in the same way, but I guess there are a lot of heavy themes in it. Um, so the book on the 
front cover actually. So I really found the the, the um, title really interesting. Your house will pay. It seems like a very sort of almost tribal revenge type thing that I you immediately <laughs> thought of Shakespeare, Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> See that fits with that. Um, so that's that's what I thought of when I saw that. Um, and the cover actually has praise. Um, it features praise from Ian Rankin, and it says fresh thoughtful and thrilling and I thought the word thrilling that is used because of that um, partly because of the fact that um, it's about a crime that takes place um, we've categorized it as a thriller but I think it's one of those books that sort of defies genres like being um, I guess put in like a box the way like the herd is for me, it's quite obviously it fits into like the thriller genre. But this one is a little bit different. And interestingly enough, when you go to like the publisher websites, some of them referred to this as a mystery, um, some as a mystery suspense. Um, and there was another one that referred to it as a, um, uh, a family uh, story. And the reason why they did that was because family probably is one of the things that figures in this story more than anything else. I mean, the book deals with crime. It deals with guilt. It deals a lot with racism. It deals with immigration. Um, it deals with traditional gender roles. It deals with faith. But more than anything else, family. So it's it's in some ways a family drama with a lot of other things more than anything else. So the story, basically... Um, it's, it goes back and forth between 1991 and 2019. And when I first started reading it, it was it begins with 1991. Uh, they're a group of black teenagers. And, you know, they're going off to see a movie. And as I was reading it, I felt a little bit of a sense of unease um, because she was describing the interactions between these teenagers and they were th- saying things like, oh, that's whack. And um, they were talking about, oh, I'm not going to be able to find so-and-so uh, because, like, most of the um, this whole group, like, the group of people waiting, I think they were looking for someone in the movie queue. Um, they said something like, oh, I'm not going to be able to find X, Y, and Z because most people here are black. And I was like, it just felt really weird, especially when I was looking at the author, the author's name, and then at the back. And it looked like the author was, and I think the author's an Asian-American. And I was like, uh, it felt like I didn't know what to feel. It felt a bit off. And I guess because I'd read a few um, books recently by um, African-American authors. So this just felt like it was almost like someone was painting or depicting African-Americans as caricatures. Like that's, I was getting a little bit of those vibes. So it was making me feel uncomfortable but when I started reading the book and going through it, I realized that I was off completely in what I was thinking. Because what it ended up being was a very interesting, nuanced look at race relations between two different minorities, so Asian Americans and African Americans, which I think is something that isn't covered often enough in fiction. But it's so important because often in terms of when we think about racism, it's it's always framed in terms of people of colour versus, you know, um, versus, you know, like a white majority. But it's so much more complex than that. 
especially in like today's multicultural society and certainly in like a country like America and well Los Angeles where this book is set. So this really, really focuses more than anything else on race relations between um, Asian Americans and African Americans. So the story, it starts off with 1991. There's, um, you know, all these teenagers some crimes like a crime takes place so basically there's a lot of activity which results in a lot of little crimes taking place and as I was reading it I'm like oh okay this is it that's fine and then the next scene is like in nine, um, 2019 it's a very normal setting you know someone's at a Black Lives Matter I think protest um, and then they mention a name which reveals that in 1991, at the very beginning of what where the book take pla- took place, but that part wasn't covered by the book yet, a crime happened. And for me, it was very weird and that whole jarring thing where you've got something that's dark, it's going to become ominous, then nothing happens. You're like, okay, I'm in the clear. The story moves on, and then they drop something, and like, oh, okay, what happened back there was actually really bad. They just hadn't revealed it yet. So it's that whole roller coaster thing I think that you were mentioning before. This employs a little bit of that as well, sort of in revealing things that are happening. So I found that quite interesting. Um, Like I said, the book deals with lots of different um, themes, uh, most of it family and race relations. Um, So yeah, like I said, you're lulled into a false sense of security and then that continues until, you know, they hit you with okay this crime taking place and then the consequences of that crime um and then the two different families that they focus on one is a korean american family and the other family is an african-american family and then there eventually as the story takes place i think it's halfway through where you see how the two families are connected and connected in a really tragic and bad way um which turns this into a i guess puts it into the genre of being a thriller I really, really like how the book deals with race relations. Um, Apart from looking at that complex relationship between minority groups, it does this interesting thing where, I don't want to say it takes the piss, but when it comes to, I guess, progressives, so, okay, you've got some straight up racists in the book as well, of course. So I think there's a memorial for a black teenager and you've got some white supremacists like rock up. Um, and the author really funnily like refers to them as, um, gosh, wherever I got it, um, milky frat boys, which I really thought was a really funny way to describe it. So yeah, so you've got the, um, you know, the relationship between racist um, white Americans and um, people of color, but you've also got this thing depicted there, which I think was really funny, where you've got progressives who want to do the right thing, want to say the right thing, but can do it so clumsily. Like there's this one scene of confrontation between the two different minority groups and the, like a progressive white person, I think on the side wants to like show how progressive and like, see, I'm a bit worried about using the word woke because I think it's weaponized and I really, really hate how like a good word like that is weaponized now. But, (laughs) but but they they sort of interject and try to take one person's side and like outdo 
like um like this okay this black person is basically wronged by this asian person and i think it's a white person jumps in and has a go at like the asian person um to the point where the black person has to go okay you know what back off like i it, stay out of it i know but it, it was i don't i don't know how to describe it in like a really articulate way but it was really interesting and it shows how sometimes wanting to do the right thing wanting to be an ally you have to be careful about it if you're not of that minority and i don't mean it to say in a sense that you know you should white people for example should have to like perpetually live in this sort of sense of oh i don't want to do the wrong thing if i i'm damned if i do this i'm damned if i do that i don't think they should feel like that but it's you also have to, I think they, there needs to be an awareness of you have to tread carefully when it comes to something as complex as this. Mm. You know, you can't sort of go, oh, no, I'm going to outdo you in this sense of outrage of that you're, you must be feeling, even though you're the victim and I'm not, right? Yeah. And she says this also this interesting thing about another white character who um, is writing about this African-American um, teenager who had died. Um the quote is, the way this man spoke with a show of humility and magnanimity that was the gentle face of power. I quite like that as well, where it's like, okay, you're showing all that sympathy, all that empathy, but in the end, you're not really vulnerable the way these people are. So you're never going to really get a sense of like um, what it is to be vulnerable. You can you can make all the noises about and say all the right things and being all supportive, but it's it's never going to be the same if you're not going to be one of those people who is likely to be a victim. Um, I feel like I'm rambling about this at the moment. I just don't know, like, a really good... Like, I want to do this justice just because I really like the nuanced way um, they talk about it. But I... When you're reading the book, what I loved was that it, it gave me these complex feelings about the situation. Like, you go, okay, well, you've got... You've got one side suffering and then you see another side's perspective. And that doesn't mean that both sides are equal. There is one side, I feel, which was more wrong than the other. But they both have things going on in their background, which make them both, I guess, in some ways a victim. And it was really like a roller coaster of emotions rather than fear exactly. Or like, you know, so you sort of go through going, okay, well, I feel a bit of empathy here. But no, I can't imagine feeling any sympathy for this person. But you, it chops and changes, I think, because she gives such a nuanced look at their, um, at the relationship between the two, um, the two sides. Um, there are really like the the way it's written is so well. Like you can totally tell why this is considered a work of. I think it's considered a work of literary fiction um, as well as just being like um, like a thriller. It's written really well. The author definitely has skill. Um, just a few quotes. People were lazy. They reached for the first thing that came to mind and held it like it was true. I don't know. I just really loved how the author put that. Um, and there was another character. So the character, um, one character's sister is killed when he's a child. And um, this is years and years later. And he thinks, but he couldn't stomach it anymore. Not since he was a child. Getting his head rubbed by every kind-hearted mfa who warmed his soul from a safe distance at the bonfire of sean's tragedy he was forever a black child who'd been publicly wronged and so he was an altar for the well-meaning pilgrims who wanted his grace in exchange for their patronage and there was another one about um like a character and saying um you know she felt like she had her parents hopes on her back 
I did that, the phrasing of that, I just love that. And that was about the whole thing about having the work ethic of first generation immigrants and the pressure that their children feel. Uh, there was another thing about apathy. So she let herself luxuriate in apathy. And that goes to that whole thing about how you're not really like wanting to stay away from these issues until it really affects, you know, you and your family. So there's that as well. And then there was another thing about a character who is affected by um, a family member being killed, um, you know, and justice being denied that person. Um, And the way they cope with it is by publicising it as much as possible. Um, And the quote was, Aunt Sheila learned that she could trade their pain for attention, which at times felt almost like justice while being nothing like it at all. And I think that goes back to the whole thing about the book being about all these headlines that you see that have, you know, always come up about so-and-so being killed, this person being killed, this and this happening, and all the stuff about gun violence and people either lionising the victim or demonising the victim. And this book, I feel like, takes a look at what goes on beyond the headlines, which I think is really, really important because... Just because someone wasn't a saint doesn't mean they deserve to die. And yeah, I think exactly. it, and I think it's it's that's how it's framed in the media to make it easy for us, which is absurd. Um, at the very beginning of the book, there are two quotes, and I'm glad I think I was mentioning this, Brian, to you before. I'm glad I didn't read those quotes because when I finished the book and I read the author's note at the end, it referred um, then I went back and looked at the quotes. The author's note mentions that the events of the book are actually based on real events that happened in nineteen ninety one where this young black woman was killed. Um, And it's not um, obviously based on the, um, like there's a lot of creative license taken and the story is completely different, but the idea, like the genesis, is based on those events that happened and that just makes it that much more powerful. So, yeah, this book I would, if you're looking for like a standard thriller, the herd is what you would want to go with, but if you want something that's got a bit more of a look at some really serious issue, serious issues, but also has those aspects of being like a thriller, um, having a look at crime, I think Your House Will Pay is like an excellent book. That was my long <laughs> rambling <laughs> review of that. Well, you've convinced me to read it. <laughs> One, score one, I've got <laughs> your book, Bryony, the fourth one. Um, so the fourth one is The Animals at Lockwood Manor by Jane Healy. So this is more of a gothic novel um, rather than a straight-up thriller. I think that the gothic novel is kind of like a precursor to the modern-day thriller as it's um, got that same sort of um, eerie, atmospheric quality. Um but it's less focusing on like a specific crime and more on um, this kind of um, uncertainty. So there's this tension that comes from not really knowing what's real and what's not, which is part of what makes a Gothic novel a Gothic novel. The narrators are unreliable. There's this spectre of the supernatural. But you're not really sure if it's um, actually psycholog- like actually ghosts or if it's psychological. Um, and the house itself is a very malevolent presence. 
Um, but again, you're not really sure if that's just in the character's minds, um, if there's more, a hu more of a human explanation for what was happening. Um, but the novel is narrated by Hetty, the main character, um, and she's responsible for looking after the taxidermied animals that have been evacuated from a natural history museum in London to Lockwood Manor before the bombing start in World War II. So she's moved to the country um, and she soon finds that the enormous manor house holds um, dangers of its own. So there's the sinister Lord Lockwood, whose um, wife and mother have recently died a few months earlier. Um, and he's moved on suspiciously quickly. <laughs> so <laughs> immediately you're kind of like, oh, this guy's dodgy. Um, and then there's Lucy, who's his daughter, um, who's about the same age as Hetty. Um, and she's recovering from the loss. And she's struggled with mental illness since she was a child. And she narrates parts of the book as well. But your kind her recollections have are sort of a little unreliable as well because um, she her I feel like her mind has kind of protected her from certain knowledge so she doesn't really um, isn't the most reliable narrator either so there are some similarities between Keeper and um, the animals at Lockwood Manor as it also talks about gaslighting and coercive control. So <laughs> I just kind of um, picked these ones at random, but they were sort of connected. Um, it's more subtle in this one, though. I think um, at one point, Hetty says, I've never asked myself to disbelieve the evidence of my own eyes before, because everything is kind of um, making her think that she's going mad, whether or not she is. But it's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy because mm. then she really does start to um, lose grip on reality. She sort of grows more anxious and obsessive about the animals that are kind of moving around. And every time she goes back to her room, they're like in a different spot. And she's like, what's going on? And then they go missing. And um, she starts to imagine things that aren't there. Um, and Lucy is haunted in her dreams by a huge beast. Um, so there's a lot of like animal symbolism and the line is kind of blurred as to who is the hunter and who is the hunted. And um, it kind of talks about like big game hunters and that kind of mentality and it sort of links it into the colonialism of the museum and the, all the animals from different parts of the world. And um, yeah, so it relies heavily on the gothic tropes of the haunted house, the sinister master, the mentally ill ingenue, there's a ghostly woman in white. And when you put it like this, it can seem a little derivative. <laughs> um, but the characters are very engaging and it often sort of subverts these tropes, like the ingenue is not really an ingenue kind of thing. Um, and the plot is still intriguing. Um, the claustrophobia is evoked in a really powerful way as the house seems to close in on them and with the added threat of the bombs, 
the blitz finally starts because they've kind of been anticipating this and there's this sense of anticipation and then it starts and it just becomes worse. Um, and there are similarities to classic um, Gothic novels like Jane Eyre and Rebecca. And Lord Lockwood is an interesting take on like the Rochester figure or like the Heathcliff kind of, it's like, but utterly unromantic. <laughs> <laughs> you that know. was the best part. <laughs> yeah. So, um, it, yeah, it sort of strips that back and is like, well, what is romantic about this kind of figure? Mm. And like, isn't it he just abhorrent? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, and his late wife, the one that dies before the book starts, um, is sort of like, you know, the Bertha Mason figure, who's mm. Rochester's first wife. Mm. Um, you know, she comes from the West Indies and she's like kind of terrorised by madness. And But it's also that she's sort of being driven mad, I think, um, by her husband. Um and it's quite atmospherically spooky more than violently scary. Um, it's sort of creepy in the ways that the house and its inhabitants transform Hetty and how they've already traumatised Lucy. Uh, so it does kind of shy away from race in a way that I thought was a little glaring in because of the um, very sort of colonial overtones of the book um, you know Lucy's mother grew up on a plantation and uh, Lord Lockwood has his own kind of collection of animals that he's gotten from all over the world and the museum itself there's always like kind of that aspect of like where are you getting all your your exhibits from and it does kind of feel like an omission that it fails to sort of engage with that in a meaningful way. So that was kind of one one thing that I sort of had an issue with. But for the rest of it, I did really like um, the way that it, um, yeah, talked about various issues and um, sort of created this atmosphere mm. that was quite interesting. So would you say the atmosphere, I mean, I know as we've demonstrated just with my last book as well, like some things defy like being neatly categorised. But would you say this feels, just because the way you're describing it, to me it sounds a little bit more like, if we had to go for a broad category, mm. a bit more like horror than thriller. Or, or did it have aspects of, do you think it straddles both? Yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of overlap, isn't it? Nice. It was, um, I mean, I guess with horror, you sort of think of it as more extreme than like kind of a more extreme version of thriller. And it wasn't an extreme novel, I didn't think. Mm -hmm. But maybe I'm wrong. How would you describe horror? Not that, that you're right. I guess it's it's about degrees, right? Like what's mm. the, the difference, I guess, on that sliding scale if you think about feeling, having a sense of darkness that you would get with, say, the mood in a thriller as opposed yeah. to the sense of fear. Like that oppressive thing of not, I guess that sort of... um. Anxiety. So thrillers, I guess you could associate a lot with the feeling of anxiety, I suppose, mm. if you had to choose an emotion. And um, horror, I guess you could associate with fear. So anxiety and figure, I mean, it's I think not also, that far away, is no, it? No, but I also think with horror there's 
often like a gruesome aspect. That's kind of what I associate with it. And I didn't think that it was super... I mean, there was a little bit, but it was more kind of just alluded to. It was more kind of based Mm. on like like dead animals or that was kind of the extent of its gruesomeness. Oh, okay. Um, Yeah, so... But would you see it as, like, the ones that you know as being, say, straight-up thrillers and straight-up horrors, Mm. could you, if you compared to those, using those as reference points, could you see enough of, like, a comparison to see that it would sort of possibly relate to both? Yeah, I think so. But I also think it doesn't quite almost fit into the thriller genre. Like, it almost, Mm. um, yeah, it sort of shies away from a lot of the sort of tropes of that I think like so it's not like a straight up thriller it's more like a gothic fair enough um, novel but yeah I thought it had enough thriller elements to qualify and it was <laughs> it was kind Good. of um, it was like marketed as a thriller as well nice well yeah. I, I think that then goes well with I guess it would be it's great to include I think books like that then because it just demonstrates that when you think of thriller like a something that can be considered a thriller or is marketed or you know categorized as one it it, it doesn't just have to be this thing that neatly falls into the box as with any fiction you've got things that have aspects of all of them or some of them or sometimes none of them so very very I think interesting that's even more kind of um, interesting is like when they don't subscribe mm. to all of the elements of a, of a particular genre, like, um, because it, then I think it can become quite sort of formulaic yep. and you're just like, okay, so you're hitting this note and now we're hitting this note and, yep. like, it sort of loses its edge almost. I think that's kind of the best part is when it's turned on its head. That yeah. is true. <laughs> that is definitely true. On that note, I think we'll wrap up. Um, If you'd like to download um, episodes of Parapods, you can find us on Podbean, the app. You can also find um, episodes for Parapods on Apple Podcasts or through Google Play. We also have another podcast show called Paracalled. So that's C-A-L-D, and that stands for Culturally and Linguistically Diverse. Thank you so much, Bryony. Thank you. Uh, I hope this is uh, not the last <laughs> collaboration we do. Um, that's me, Nessa, signing off. And me, Bryony, also signing off. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. Later. Material presented in this podcast is for general information only. Any opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the guest speaker do not necessarily represent the views of City of Parramatta Council. City of Parramatta Council is not responsible for any injury, loss or damage which you may directly or indirectly suffer in connection with this podcast.